Welcome to another Classical Chicago podcast from Sadie Records. I'm Jim Ginsberg, founder and president of Sadie, and that beautiful, wistful music you just heard is from an Armenian composer named Komitas. The piece is titled Chinar S, and we'll be talking a lot more about the piece and the composer in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about the album it's from. It's an album titled Gems from Armenia. It's an all-Armenian program, essentially featuring the Aznavorian duo of Ani Aznavorian cello and Marta Aznavorian piano. And Ani and Marta are, of course, my guests on this Classical Chicago podcast. Hi, Ani. Hi, Jim. Greetings from Santa Barbara, California. And Marta's right here in the studio with me. Hello, Jim. Great to talk to you. Yes, excited. I should mention, this is actually episode number 50 in the Classical Chicago podcast series. Every time we come out with a new release on Sadie, we come out with one of these podcasts. And it's wonderful to have these guests with me. They are sisters who grew up in Chicago together. Just briefly, I'll mention that Ani is the principal cellist with the Camerata Pacifica for the past 15 years. She's also been a member of the International Sejong Soloists and Jupiter Chamber Players. She's taught in places like the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and in the summers has served on the faculty of the Great Mountains Music Festival in South Korea. And here's something particularly interesting. She plays a cello made by her father, Peter Aznavorian. I do indeed. Proudly. (laughs) Does Peter specialize in cellos? In fact, he specializes in violins. Violin has always been his passion. But I was in need of a cello, and he was up for the job. So I let him audition. (laughs) And 20 years later, we can say it worked out. I've been playing on this instrument, which is beautiful, for 20 years. If he was primarily a violin maker, how did you end up with a cello? Well, he went to the Chicago School of Violin Making, and he learned the craft from Chuho Lee. And so he did learn to make violins, violas, and cellos. I think bass is of a different world because they vary so much in in measurements. He has made all three of those instruments, violins, violas, cellos, just mostly violins. Plus our brother, the violinist, no longer plays. So that Uh, (laughs) that changed the... So you did have a trio going. We did. The Asnaborian trio, actually. Oh, excellent. (laughs) Well, good to know. Well, of course, Marta is the pianist in the family. And I should note that this is Ani's second... Recording for Sadie, she recorded music of the Russian-American composer Lara Auerbach with the composer for us some years ago. This is Marta's eighth recording for Sadie. Of course, Marta is a founding member of the Lincoln Trio, which has a vast discography on Sadie and other labels and has been nominated for Grammy Awards on multiple labels as well. Marta is also known as a soloist and recitalist and chamber musician and educator. And her performances on CD, while mostly with the Lincoln Trio, also include other chamber arrangements and one solo performance as well. Marta is an artist in residence and faculty member at the Music Institute of Chicago and also on the piano and chamber music faculty at the DePaul University School of Music. And as a duo, the Osnivorian duo, it says here, At an early age, together won first prize in the Illinois Bell Young Performers Competition, resulting in a live performance with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra televised on PBS. How early an age was that? Annie, you were young. I think I was 10. Marta was... Mm -hmm. I was 14 or 15. Wow. And that competition still exists, actually. Uh, It's not called Illinois Bell. And it's every four years now at Symphony Center with a different instrument. This year was piano, which incidentally, the finals are next month. And I have a student who is in the finals. So it's very sweet. Full circle. Excellent. And of course, you both grew up here in Chicago. What was it like growing up here and performing as a duo and apparently as a trio as well? (laughs) Chicago just had opportunities that were incredible as a young student. And there must have been something in the water in Chicago because there was so much talent that came out of the school that we went to, the Music Institute of Chicago. 
among other schools too, which were just as talented. But gosh, the teachers we had, incredible. And loads of competitions, which kept us motivated. It was a very musically active place and inspiring place for us as students. And I think that really motivated us to work our behinds off and <laughs> get as far as we could. So, yeah, when you see so much talent around you, you really want to keep up. We are both students at the Music Institute of Chicago, so it is really quite an honor to be back as artist in residence and to be on faculty as well. It, some of the teachers have passed over the years since, actually, both of your cello teachers. I started cello lessons with Gilda Barston at the Music Institute of Chicago, and she was dear to my heart, an incredible teacher, especially for the beginning students, and, and all the Barstons are wonderful musicians and dear to my heart. And then I continued in high school with Nell Novak, who also had a great studio. Wendy Warner was my inspiration when I was just entering that studio. She was a little older than me, so I looked up to her so much. And it was just a fantastic place to be. Many CD artists actually mm-hmm. went through that mm-hmm. school, Rachel Barton Pine and Jennifer Coe. In the album booklet, after the program listing, you have a personal note in the album, and you talk about your Armenian heritage and growing up with traditional Armenian values. What does that mean for you? Well, what could the Armenian identity or tradition be? A cuisine, language, history, culture, all these things came into play. Music, music is a big part of the Armenian culture, religion, rightfully claiming that we were the first country to adopt Christianity. And family. We are a very close family, and our parents, even though they did not speak in the house, they tried to maintain the traditions of being Armenian. And what inspired the idea of doing an all-Armenian album? In 2017, we were invited to make our debut recital in the great Khatatourian Hall in Yerevan, Armenia. And it was something that had always felt like was missing from our life, not just going there, but performing there. So when this opportunity came up, we were thrilled about it. And going there, we were just so touched by the warmth we received. Armenians are known for that anyway, giving you the shirt off their back. They're very warm people. And we really felt that. Since we were raised in America, we weren't quite sure how we were going to be received, but it was as if we had lived there all our lives the way they treated us. We're so in gratitude to the people for greeting us with those open arms. And here it is five years later, and we have an album, which is really wonderful. In your note, you dedicate this not only to the people of Armenia, this program, but also to your deda, your grandfather. Can you talk about that? Yes, it's funny because people that know us will instantly remember who you are referring to. A very dynamic man. He had a very large voice. He wasn't a large man. He was short, but definitely made his <laughs> presence known when he walked into a room. You know, loud voice and loud presence, but strong man. And he was a big supporter of our music. I remember him pulling up a big leather chair next to the piano and just listening to me practice made him very happy. He took me to all my lessons. We were from Barrington, and he would drive me to, I don't know, did he drive you, Ani, or did Mom drive you? Mostly Mom. For some reasons, I was always in the car with Dead End twice a week, three times a week to the Music Institute of Chicago. And from Barrington, that's a good 45, 50 minutes. And we spent a lot of time together listening to WFMT all the way there and all the way back. So he loved music. He did not play. He was not a musician, but he adored it. And he adored our playing. Wonderful. He would listen to anything we were practicing. It really struck us as we were recording the CD how much he would have loved this particular music. These Armenian tunes that go straight to your heart, and I'm sure it would have conjured up memories for him of his childhood and his parents that came over from the old country. So that really struck us while we were recording and made us emotional. (laughs) Program notes proper to the album by Gary Peter Rajebian. The first reference, and there's a picture alongside, is to Mount Ararat, which is uh, currently not in Armenian possession and talks about this mountain being like having a piece of yourself in someone else's possession. Can you talk about that feeling? When we finished our debut recital, it was towards the end of our trip in Armenia. We had one free day afterwards to sightsee. And of course, the Armenians are so proud of their churches as they should be because they're really quite something to enter. They're so old, first of all. So a thousand years old, some of them. The spiritual feeling you get when you walk in, even if you're not religious, it takes your breath away. So we went to one famous one called Chor Virap, and it's about an hour and a half or two hour drive from Yerevan, the capital. And it's on a hill, and as you're standing there, 
at the edge, you see Mount Ararat looming right in front of you. It's almost as if you threw a paper airplane, it would hit the mountain. So it's so close, but it's not Armenia. It's so far. It's so far away. <laughs> it's a great symbol for the Armenian people. It's on everything. It's on stationery. It's on restaurants. It's everywhere you look. You see the picture of Mount Ararat. It's, it's a very an emotional thing for the Armenian people, this mountain that they've fought so many times over the years for, sometimes had, sometimes not had. It's and So many young people have died over this mountain. But it's a very emotional thing for the people there. And, and to see it there in all its glory right in front of you, but to know it's not part of your country, it's, it must be bittersweet. <laughs> I agree, Anya. The mountain has its incredible significance. I loved also seeing the old churches and monasteries, just not within themselves, but just in the natural, beautiful setting and landscapes of Armenia was incredibly memorable and touching. And I should note that the mountain is considered the resting place of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark, Speaking yes. of the importance of Christianity uh, for a country that adopted it in 301 AD, according to these notes, and is the largest Christian minority in the uh, Middle East also. Mm-hmm. Yes. How does, more broadly, does this project capture the traditional Armenian values that you grew up with? Well, first-generation people are faced with their challenges. I think they feel like they have to choose an identity, whether it's their old identity from their old country or the new one from the country they're trying to acclimate into. They feel like they have to choose. Second, third, fourth generations are, I believe, faced with a different challenge, and that is how are we going to preserve our heritage and how are we going to carry the traditions through and transfer them to the future generations. This CD is a compilation of Armenian music for us that is an integral part of our heritage and identity. And that's why it's an honor to document our heritage and it's a joy to share it. So thank you. <laughs> I want to say thank you. <laughs> well said, Marta. I like that. Thank you. Well, it's our pleasure. It's a terrific program, and people will get to hear some of it in just a moment. The program, at least in the notes, divides the program into three periods of Armenian music, the first represented by a single composer who we're about to talk about, Komitas, and then there's the Soviet era, and then finally the modern era. Let's get right into it. The first composer who's listed as Komitas Vartabed, but uh, Vartabed's really a title. Yes, Komitas was an orphaned child and ended up raised in religious circles and became a monk and then later became a priest. And when he became a priest, Vartabed got added to his name. Is obviously very revered because many of the other composers on this album, as we will hear, make reference to his music. What made him so important to Armenian music? Komitas, he was a wonderful musician. As a child, music was a big part of his life. He ended up going to Germany to study. He became an ethnomusicologist. When he came back to Armenia, he went out into the villages and collected as much information as he could of the old songs, everything from chants onward. He ended up documenting 3,000 Armenian folk tunes and because of his musical training, he did it in his way. And he's the one who's responsible for the Armenian flavor that we are accustomed to hearing. And that all the following composers that you hear on the CD have taken from Komitas, the father of classical Armenian music. And it does that basically boil down to certain modes that were yes. unique or, or special mm-hmm. to Armenian folk music? Mm-hmm. And he ended up writing the Divine Liturgy that is used in Armenian Mass today still. Much of it is based on chant. It's a huge three-hour-long uh, liturgy. We heard that. We grew up with that. We didn't go to church every week, but when we went, I would say the music was... It was long. Yeah, it was long. We'd, we'd go for the last hour <laughs> at uh, best. And the bread at the end. <laughs> Well, and for this documenting function you mentioned, sounds not dissimilar to what, say, Bartok and Kodai were doing for the Hungarian people later Mm on. Well, in the notes, Gary talks about how he didn't just take these folk songs, but then turn them into compositions that, as he put it, evoke the very life and heartache of the people. How do you feel that in the music and in your performances? I always feel that with Armenian music. There's an incredible sadness to it, 
And then there is always a section of hope and somewhat happiness, but it is still always overshadowed by a memory or feeling of sadness or a looming dread that's always present. It always does tug at your heart. It's true. There's an old saying, I'm sure it's not true, but it's a good picture of the Armenian people. It's that Armenians used to be very fair with blue eyes, but they cried so much throughout history that their eyes turned dark. Oh. <laughs> it's a good way to, to think about this music. It's so beautiful, but it's so heavy on your heart at the same time. Well, there's certainly a very bittersweet yeah. quality to the melodies. And as we heard at the beginning of this podcast, what we actually heard was the opening music of the album, one of five Komitas pieces. A lot of these stories and these folk songs are personifications of nature. That one, Chinares, is about a tall tree that represents a faraway lover. And there are other examples of this. And we're going to hear probably the most famous one or an excerpt of the most famous one in a moment, which is Krunk, which is the crane. Why is the crane such a powerful symbol for Armenia? The crane represents a feeling of nostalgia and, and longing for the Armenians. And this particular folk tune, crane or krunk, is about an Armenian who's on a pilgrimage. He sees a crane and he asks him about his homeland, what is happening in Armenia. It's almost begging to know. It's this desperate sense of longing to be back there and then begging for information from this crane. There's almost a feeling of desperateness in this piece. The crane has various meanings in different religions and heritages. In Japan, it's known for hope and longevity. It's definitely a prominent symbol in many different cultures. The piece gets very dramatic in the middle, and I thought that's what we might hear is that dramatic middle section. So what would you like to say about that before people hear it? I think that's just indicative of begging to know what's happening, a missing of his homeland. It's just showing how desperate this Armenian pilgrim feels. Let's hear that then. So here's the middle part of Krunk, the crane of Komitas, as heard on the album Gems from Armenia by the Aznavorian duo of Ani Aznavorian cello and Marta Aznavorian piano. You just heard a portion of Krunk, the crane, a piece by Armenian composer Komitas, whose dates, by the way, are 1869 to 1935, really considered the father of Armenian music. It's from an album called Gems from Armenia and performed by the Aznavorian duo, which consists of my guests on this podcast, Ani Aznavorian Cello and Marta Aznavorian Piano. In the notes, uh, refers to three eras of Armenian music, Komitas alone representing that first era, and then the Soviet era right after, 
which has a wealth of composers. In his notes, Gary Rajabian calls it a musical renaissance period, almost a golden age of Armenian music. And of course, the most famous composer from this group is Aram Kachchurian, certainly the most recognized Armenian composer. How did he manage to maintain his Armenian identity during those brutal Stalin years? I think Kachchurian was in a good position at that point. Was it his relationship with Stalin, Ani, that I think kept him out of trouble, at least initially, both of them being from Georgia, Tbilisi, and being men of the people? He was quite well-known and quite revered in Russia, the USSR, and he took it upon himself to support younger Armenian composers and mentor them. Yeah, I feel that Khatatorian really walked that line well in the communist era, pleasing Stalin. At the same time, he was a very jovial man. There's a video on YouTube, which I love. It's just the audio but you hear him singing an Armenian tune that he's composed, and he's singing in Armenian, and he's singing about how much he loves wine. And you can tell while he's (laughs) singing that much wine was involved in the recording. And it's just fantastic. You can't help but smile as you're hearing this recording. He was well-liked because of his nature. He walked that line well. He did get into a little trouble after his third symphony. They started to say, hey, you're getting a little political here. Go back to your Armenian roots. <laughs> so, and, yeah, and that's when he came out with Spartacus, Spartacus. and that, ah. that brought him back to good graces. I think actually Stalin might have passed at that point, but just as well, he survived after and prospered. He was also, I think, a little smarter politically. Uh, There's a wonderful story of Stalin asking him and Shostakovich to write a piece together. It was for a new anthem or something. And said, how long will this take you? And Shostakovich blurted out a half hour. And Kasturian was furious with him. He said to him, you should have told him it'll take a full day to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let him know that this is easy. So earlier we talked about how Komitas had such an influence on Armenian composers who came after him. I think the same could be said of Kashaturian as well. Yeah, Kashaturian probably is the most known Armenian composer in the Western world. He wrote thousands of things, but one on our CD is a compilation of children's songs written about a boy named Ivan. The song that we have chosen to play here is Ivan Sings which is very, very celebrated, well-known, popular piece and has been arranged in many different instruments. And this simple, melancholic piece, and here we are playing it. The arrangement is by Antti Hakarainen, who's Finnish. What can you tell us about the arrangement? I like it because it highlights the melody. The piano part is extremely simple, but the melody just is so beautiful, it stands on its own. It doesn't need much. As I was listening through the edits, it was so nice when we got to this piece. I just sat back and enjoyed how, how pretty it is. You know, it's very simple. Normally, Kachaturian is known for his ability to have these incredible rhythms and an incredible melody, but the two are quite independent of each other. But this piece is calm. In the piano, there is a descending chromaticism that symbolizes the sadness of it all. But it's not too complex rhythmically, but the melody is gorgeous. Well, there are two Kachaturian pieces on this album. In addition to Ivan Sings, there is a piece called Yerevan, which of course is the capital of Armenia. Can you talk about the importance of Yerevan to the Armenian people and how Kachaturian captures its spirit in this piece? Well, Yerevan has one-third the population of all of Armenia. It's about a million people. Armenia is just under three million at the moment. It's a very mixed city. When you go there, you're struck by the new and the old of this city. The new is really quite modern and fancy. But then you have the older, more rundown areas and what you might imagine Armenia to be like, but it's quite modern in Yerevan. It's a very cosmopolitan place for me, and I think probably for, for Khachaturian too. It's, it's about the people and the spirit. The Armenians have a very strong spirit. They're proud people, a soulful people. I think Yerevan celebrates that. In his notes, Gary talks about the piece bustling with grand melody and syncopated rhythmic flourishes. Yes. We wrestled a little bit with the tempo of this. We tried it on the faster side. We tried it on the medium side. And we ended up recording it on the slower side. That just seemed to be the way that it floated. 
Yeah, we played it more in a sentimental way. I think. Yes, more, we did. More and more it, like thinking back to Yerevan. Well, it doesn't feel slow to me. No, it didn't feel slow either. It, well, that's how we felt at the moment, and that's how we recorded it. And But that rhythmic had a nice lilt to it at that tempo. Well, let's hear that then. We'll hear the second half of the piece. So this is from Yerevan by Aram Kachaturian, as performed by Annie Aznavorian cello, Marta Aznavorian piano, a.k.a. the Aznavorian duo. You just heard a portion of a piece titled Yerevan, named for the Armenian capital city, by Aram Kachchurian, as performed by the Aznavorian duo, and the Aznavorian cello, Marta Aznavorian piano, from their new album on CD Records, Gems from Armenia. Oh, the next composer on the album was certainly very much influenced by Kachchurian. This is Arno Babajanian, and in fact, the first piece of the two pieces on the album from him is actually an elegy to his mentor, Kachchurian. In fact, it was done as a musical toast at Kachchurian's funeral. Can you talk a little bit about that? Kachchurian supported Babajanian for much of his life. You heard Babajanian and recognized his talent at a very early age. And over the years, they became very close. Babajanian probably hitting his stride when he wrote the trio that actually the Lincoln Trio recorded, Trio in F minor, written in 1952. And recorded in your Trios from Our Homelands album, which was released in 2016 and nominated for a 2017 Grammy Award. Of course, this was your homeland of the three pieces on the album. There's a beautiful recording on YouTube of Babajanian performing this elegy, and his face is just so soulful, and the music is so soulful, and the piece is so soulful. We just had to include this on the album. I keep referring to Japan, but in Japan there's this word called kokoro, which means the heart of the meaning, and I feel like this piece, Elegy by Babajanian, really just embodies the emotion and the soul of the Armenian music and people. The Elegy is one of two solo piano pieces on this album. Everything else is cello and piano. The other solo is one of the five komitas pieces is a solo piano arrangement rather than cello and and piano. The other Babajanian piece on this album is Aria and Dance. Were these pieces always a pair? As far as I know, they have been. There's something really soulful about the aria in particular. I would say there's a Rachmaninoff mm-hmm. pull at the heartstrings quality, but there's also this wonderfully Baroque style to the keyboard part. Yes, the aria has a quite a Baroque feel to it, almost like a Bach aria, actually, or even the opening of a prelude, quiet walk, promenade feel to it. I was very pleased with the way these two movements came out. The cello has this wonderfully soulful melody above that Baroque mm-hmm. type piano accompaniment. Can you talk about pouring your heart out into that melody, Ani? Well, it gets well suited to the cello. The cello sounds best when it's just playing melodies, <laughs> let's face it. I mean, we, we cellists <laughs> like to try to do a violinistic thing sometimes and show off, but let's just be real. We sound best when we're playing the swan. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> this melody is in a nice range for the cello or mid-range. You can really just sing it out, and I think that's it's great on the cello. All right, well, let's hear that then. So from the aria and dance by Arno Babajani, and this is about the first half of the aria, and it really is one of the hit tunes of the album, so enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
You just heard the aria from Armenian composer Arno Babajanian's Aria and Dance for cello and piano as performed by the Osnivorian duo, Ani Osnivorian Cello, Marta Osnivorian Piano from their new album, Gems from Armenia, on CD Records. And if you like what you're hearing, I hope you want to check out the whole album. You can find it, of course, on CDRecords.org. That's C-E-D-I-L-L-E Records.org. You can find it as a physical CD on sites like Amazon. You can stream it on Spotify or Apple Music or high-end audio sites like Idagio or wherever you like to get your music, it'll be there. And certainly hope you'll want to listen after hearing some of these excerpts and us talk about this unique album. So now we come to the major work, I think it's fair to say, on the album. The piece is over 20 minutes long. It's a sonata for cello and piano by Avet Terterian. This is an early work of his from 1956. What he is known for is his later symphonies and stage works, which are much more avant-garde in nature. There's eight symphonies. The most well-known is the third symphony, which I happen to actually adore. I feel in his symphonies, he's just such a master of colors and textures. He has these simple lines of just one instrument just suspending in time for a long period of time, actually, a trombone or something, and then he'll add another trombone, and they just sit in a very mesmerizing, meditative manner. And then all of a sudden, he explodes with sound and colors and instrumentation, instrumentation from all over the place, behind the stage, on the stage, side of the stage, under the stage. He loves this juxtaposition of stillness and pagan explosion. Again, we cannot miss out on mentioning his love for rhythm as well. It's very present. And I feel like this sonata is almost like a small template, as it is an early work, of these symphonies, where we do also hear the contrast between simplicity and suspenseful simple notes, and then an explosion of energy and rhythm and sound. As I mentioned, the cello sonata is an earlier, more conventional work for him, but I think it's just so musically Mm -hmm. satisfying. Uh, Can you talk about what makes this piece work so well? I feel this piece has really long and thick phrases. That's great, but it was also a challenge to find ways to punctuate this piece. (laughs) Otherwise, it it could sound like a run-on sentence a little bit. So that was our challenge, and I feel like we worked well to find those moments where we could give the music a little space and time. And this was a really neat discovery for us, and we didn't discover the piece, but it was new to us. It's a great addition to our repertoire. It's it's a big, heavy work. It could be categorized in the same as a, a Beethoven or a Brahms sonata. You know, it's thick. And then because the first and second movements have this almost lugubrious quality, especially in the cello, of just thick and gooey. So nice when the third movement hits with this rhythmical pulse. Yeah, it stands out. It's like a relief almost when you hear the third movement. That's a good way of putting it. He does that in the symphonies as well. There's this tension, yes. and then the rhythm all of a sudden is a release. It's very interesting. Well, just for a roadmap, the longest movement by far is the opening movement in, of course, sonata form, because this is a sonata. And then there's a wonderfully passionate and touching second movement, adagio. And then we hit, as you say, the presto, which is essentially a perpetual motion. Mm-hmm. And I would say it reminds me a little bit of the presto that ends the Miaskovsky sonata. And people can check that out on an album of all Russian music for cello and piano featuring Wendy Warner on Sadie. But for now, let's actually hear the first couple minutes of this perpetual motion style rhythmic presto movement of Tertarian from his sonata for cello and piano of 1956. Thank you. 
You just heard the opening couple of minutes of the third movement, final movement of a sonata by Avet Tertarian for cello and piano as performed by cellist Ani Aznavourian and pianist Marta Aznavourian, the Aznavourian duo from their new Gems from Armenia album on CD Records. All Armenian composers, or at least Armenian themes. There's one exception at the end of the album we'll talk about in a moment. But now we come to a very interesting work by a composer, Serush Kradjian. He's actually the youngest composer on this album. He's one of the contemporary set that we talked about at the beginning, and this piece was actually written originally for a violinist, Lara St. John, can you explain the circumstances of the original and how he came to arrange it for cello? Sure. The song is originally a troubadour song, and Sarouj said that growing up in war-torn Lebanon, would remember sitting around and singing this particular song, Sari Sirunyar, which means beautiful girl from the mountain. He remembers singing it with his family. And years later, Lara St. John got to know Sarouj. And Lara said to Sarush, ah, there's this Armenian folk tune that I heard. It goes like this. Did you know it? And he said, do I know it? Not only do I know it, but it conjures up all these feelings for me because the song was very important and really brought my family together in a terribly difficult time. And so together they decided that Sarush could arrange this for her. There's wonderful recordings that she did on her Shiksa CD of this with uh, Matt Herskowitz was the pianist. They do a great job playing the violin version of this. And when I heard it, of course I wanted to be part of it. <laughs> so I asked Sarouj, I said, can I do this for cello? So uh, he was very willing to let me have my hand in it. So Marta and I learned Sari Sidonyar. And it was one of the pieces we chose to put on our program when we did our debut concert in Yerevan, Armenia. And they loved it. The Armenians were so happy when we got to this piece. I have to say, I think it might have been the hit of the program. We should have just played all Armenian yeah, music yeah, for that program. For sure. <laughs> That's really what they wanted to hear. Our Beethoven Sonata went well, but I think it was not the hit of the program. Ani, uh, in this piece, I just want to mention that there's such a wonderful murmuring quality to the cello at the beginning of the piece. How do you produce that sound and what inspired it? At the beginning of Sari Sirunyar, that sound... It's very ethereal, but it's also dark. It reminds me of a duduk. I didn't ask Serouj, actually, if that's what he was intending, but that's how it strikes me. And so I produce that sound by just using a floaty bow. So I bring the bow closer to the fingerboard to emulate the airy sound of the duduk, which is a famous Armenian instrument. It's an old, old, simple instrument, really. It's, it's a short tube with a reed. It creates this magically haunting sound that just has always been paired with Armenian music because of its haunting sound. And so that's what I was trying to imitate with the opening of this piece. Karajan says of this piece, One of the fondest memories I have of my childhood in war-torn Lebanon, where family gatherings were the most important activity, was singing together in the song that was always repeated was Sari Surinyar. And years later, when I was arranging it, I realized how much it had helped us to get through the traumatic experience of war and filled us with hope for a better tomorrow. So on that note, I think we should hear a couple minutes of this really lovely piece, originally written for violin for a violinist Lara St. John, but played on the cello here. These are the first couple of minutes of Sari Surinyar, performed by the Aznavorian duo. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
You just heard the first couple of minutes of Sari Surinyar, a wonderful traditional Armenian folk song as turned into a composition originally for violin and piano, but they're played on cello by Seruj Krajdjian, and it was played by Ani Aznavorian and her sister Marta Aznavorian, collectively the Aznavorian duo on their new CD album, Gems from Armenia. And we take a step back for the next piece on the program to the last composer from the Soviet era, as it were, and this is Alexander Arutunian, who's probably best known for a wonderful trumpet concerto, which is a real showpiece for that instrument. And what we have here is an impromptu for cello and piano, and that is a real showpiece for the cello. Is it, uh, Ani, as much fun to play as, as it is to listen? absolutely is as much fun to play and because it's so upbeat and so happy it's it's a rarity (laughs) among Armenian (laughs) (laughs) we have to run with it we had been playing this piece since we were very young I do remember playing it on the stages of our church St. James Church in Evanston as all musicians know when there's a piece you've played for most of your life it basically becomes a part of you and this piece is is no exception yeah that's great we love playing it. I think we could probably never rehearse it and in 30 years still be able to play it, knowing exactly what each other is doing. And this is also a piece, it's fair to say, that's inspired by folk melodies? Oh, yes, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Inspired yeah, by folk a... melodies, yes. And it has that beautiful Russian-sounding middle section. Like all Armenian music, it can't be only happy. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) There's a lot of spiccato in the cello. And actually, while we were recording it, I ended up using a different bow for the spiccato part because my main bow is really heavy, and it's great for drawing out a a melody and a big sound, but not so great for the spiccato needed in this impromptu. So I switched bows in the recording process. Let's hear some of that. This is the opening section, just about a little over a minute, of this impromptu by Alexander Arutunian, once again, Ani Aznavorian cello, Marta Aznavorian piano. You just heard a little bit of the impromptu by Alexander Arutunian, a piece for cello and piano performed by the Aznavorian duo of Ani Aznavorian and Marta Aznavorian from their new Gems from Armenia program. The next piece is another modern piece. So we don't have time to listen to everything, so we'll just talk a little bit about this one. This is by Vace Sharafian, who is a student, incidentally, of Tertarians, right? Yes. Whose big sonata we heard an excerpt from earlier on the program. And this piece, his Petrified Dance, was actually composed for a documentary, right? Yes, he originally had written it for a documentary about an Armenian painter, and then he had arranged it for, I believe, viola and piano, then violin and piano, and now cello and piano. I actually met Vace Sharafian on our trip to Armenia. Ani, you were at that concert with me, correct? When we went to hear the premiere of his cello concerto, my good friend uh, Suren Bagratuni was the cellist at Kachaturian Hall with the Armenian Philharmonic. I believe Edward Topchan was conducting. And I met Vace after the performance, and we went to coffee the next day. We discussed his great cello concerto, and we discussed things in general, and he was very excited with the prospect of us one day recording a piece of his. So I'm thrilled that this made it on the CD, and it just so happens that it is his birthday today, so happy birthday. The day we're recording this podcast, which is February 11th, incidentally. Yes, so happy birthday to Vache. In the notes, Gary says that for this piece, Sharafian drew inspiration 
haunted by the memory of Armenian soldiers who had died in a month-long assault from Azerbaijan while they were trying to retain part of the homeland. Unfortunately, it's inspired many, many pieces and melodies. And this one is indeed haunting. I hope people will want to check it out when they check out the whole album. We want to move on now to the largest single movement on the album, a piece that you actually commissioned from an American composer, but based on Armenian themes. Can you talk about why you chose to do that? We wanted to get a different perspective on the great Armenian themes, and it seemed like a very interesting idea to have a composer who was known for his American themes, the great Peter Boyer. In fact, he just wrote a piece for Biden's inauguration. He's won awards for his grand piece about Ellis Island. So he's very known for his American sound. He teaches even a course about Copeland and Bernstein. So he's kind of known for that. I became friends with Peter, and we started talking over COVID about other projects and the talking about our Armenian heritage, the idea of the CD came up and the piece, and it just all worked out organically. And I just loved the idea of this American, so known for that American sound, to write a piece about Mount Ararat. He liked it too. He wanted to shake up the world and say, look what else I can do. You think I'm just an American composer. <laughs> He's quite excited by throwing a curveball. He really nicely captured Mount Ararat, which is its title. It doesn't have necessarily the Armenian flavor of most of the rest of the CD, but it's very dramatic. I'd say it definitely has a darkness to it. It's suitable for a piece about Mount Ararat and a mystique to it. I think he did a wonderful job. I'm thrilled about having this piece on the CD. It's great. It rounds out the CD in a magical way, especially completing us as merging our American and our Armenian essence of who we are. And that was another reason why I was excited to commission an American composer to write an Armenian theme. And Peter puts everything into the project that he is doing. Mm -hmm. He gives it 150%. This is no exception. So we're really thankful to him for giving us such an incredible work for cello and piano repertoire. And you mentioned about how it brings the project full circle, and in fact, very intentionally so, because at, toward the end of the piece, he actually has a reference to Komitas's Krunk. Yes. Yes, that was sort yes. of a request, like, Peter, maybe if you can possibly put a quote in there of something from Komitas. It wasn't a request for me. Yeah. I, was, I was shocked. Yeah, no. It, and um, I didn't necessarily think it was going to happen. He told me he worked really hard to get it to feel natural. Sure it wasn't easy. Right. Coming out of his world, the Boyer world, to seamlessly enter into such a comitas from <laughs> 100 years ago. You mean he hasn't been doing that on, no, on all, no, in all of this? No, he has not. <laughs> yeah. So he worked really hard to get it to sound seamless, and I have to say he succeeded. I agree completely. I had no idea it was such a struggle. <laughs> Amazing how it kind of comes, and yeah. there, there it is, karunk, in all its glory. But somehow he got to it so seamlessly. And then at the last 10, 15 seconds of the piece, he returns to his sound world, and it trails off, and it's so effective. It's, it's just so well done. I'm so happy and proud to have this piece and thankful to him for all his work on it. Well, of course, we talked at the beginning of the podcast about the importance of Mount Ararat as a symbol, and you mentioned how dramatic it gets, and in fact, uh, that's what I think we will listen to, is that just like Komitas's Krunk, this piece, Mount Ararat uh, by Peter Boyer, has a very dramatic middle section. Mm -hmm. What would you like to say about that before uh, we put it on? Yes, well, out of Peter's sound world, you get this powerful, insistent motive that builds and builds. The piece starts off with a cadenza, so it already is pretty powerful, but this maintains the intensity and builds and builds until it drifts away, and that also then the krunk melody elucidates itself. Well, let's hear that then. So we'll hear this dramatic middle section from Peter Boyer, Mount Ararat, as performed one last time by the Asnavorian duo.
You just heard a portion of a piece commissioned specially for this project, this Gems from Armenia album. The piece is by Peter Boyer, Mount Ararat. We heard from the middle of the piece, and it was performed on this Gems from Armenia new CD album by the Aznavorian duo of Ani Aznavorian cello and Marta Aznavorian piano, my guests on this podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, I hope you'll check out the whole album. You can stream it on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you like to do that or get it as a download or go on some of the higher HD sites because this is available in all formats. And of course, the physical CD is available from Amazon or Sadie Records website, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org. So you can get the album in any format. I mentioned the higher res formats, which might be of particular interest because I think this is such a wonderful sounding recording, which it was my pleasure to produce, by the way. And I should give a tip of the hat to our wonderful Sadie Records engineer, Bill Malone, who I can tell you was particularly delighted with just how well the sound of this album came out. How is it for you listening, Ani? You probably have some experience listening to cello on recordings. <laughs> yes, tip of my hat to both of you. Gosh, I'm thrilled with how this came out, the depth of the cello sound. Sometimes I don't think in some cases that the roundness of the instrument is really captured, but it sure is in this case. So I couldn't be happier with how this sound came out. Thank you so much to both of you. Well, thank you. And of course, it has to be balanced with a piano. As usual, I'm always thrilled with the way the sound is. Just the evenness of the piano, the clarity, the balance. I just think it had a really magical essence and sound. A thank you to Bill and thank you to Jim. Oh, it's our pleasure. This is a really fun album to work on, I have to say. <laughs> We've talked about how it references our first composer, Komitas, at the end. Are there other ways that this big piece serves to sum up the recording, the Boyer? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I felt that it was a wonderful piece to round out who we are. Our two identities, our Armenian heritage and history, and our American nationality and homeland. And Mount Ararat being the pinnacle of the entire work, it really had a nice balance of meaning for me. And the subject matter, Mount Ararat, absolutely, I 100% agree. Mm Mm-hmm. And also ending it with the Komitas quo. It's a nice way to round out the album as well. Well, since we talked about rounding out the album, what do you feel listeners should take from the program as a whole? We hope that from this album, the audience can take a bit of our hearts and our soul. That's what we hope to give to people. This is music that has been part of our blood and part of our being since we were born, and we're so happy to share it with everyone. We're just thrilled. It's always a gift to share your identity with people. It is definitely a big monumental aspect of who we are, and we're very fortunate to have documented it and to be able to present it to you here today and for the future. So thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk more generally. How have things been for both of you as artists and performers since the start of the pandemic, really two years ago now, and during our more recent, I would say, lurching return to something approaching normality? Well, we were returning, and then suddenly there was a little backtrack. So we were on a roll last year, and then to stop again was a little disheartening. January was mostly canceled and half of February as well, for me anyway. Ani, how about you? I had some concerts canceled in California, but everything else from this point forward is seeming optimistic. But all of COVID was such an interesting time. There was the initial just depression when everything disappeared in an instant. (laughs) Like all your income, everything, it's just gone. Just a punch to the gut. And I think every musician felt the same way. There were some people that handled it in different ways. And some people really tried to put out videos all the time. Other people just didn't even want to open their instruments at all. That was interesting to see the various ways people incorporated their arts and, (laughs) you know, put them into other people's living rooms. You know, it was Mm -hmm. interesting, the creativity of it all. Yeah, but then you also saw the people that were doing that eventually kind of faded, too. It just lasted Uh, so long that even the people that were gung-ho lost steam. (laughs) I consider myself very lucky. I ended up doing a lot of recording from home. I recorded for an HBO show. I did their soundtrack for Mm -hmm. Lovecraft Country from my apartment in Santa Barbara. Yes, I was impressed you got all that equipment and learned how to use it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Honestly, I was impressed I did that. I never dreamed that yeah. I'd be able to use Pro Tools to speak intelligently about equipment. I have to say I'm kind of proud of myself for having done that. To be able to know Pro Tools and be able to record in an instant now, it's, it's something I'll have forever. And I, I thank you, COVID. You will. I should note that this album was actually recorded in Pro Tools. Ah. <laughs> You'll have a job here, Ani, if all... Another, the next pandemic. If you need it. <laughs> oh, man, don't even say that. It seems like, knock on wood, uh, we're coming down from this latest Omicron surge crisis, whatever you want to call it. So what is upcoming for each of you, both individually as performers and as a duo? I'm about to head to Florida. Uh, I'm playing some chamber music with James Ennis and the American String Quartet members. I'm excited to do that. And then I head to New York for my beloved Jupiter series that I've been playing on for years. I love that series. It's a definitely one of a kind and a hardcore audience. Their programming is great. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. One of a kind. Not too long from now, summer season starts and, and that's a back-to-back wall of, of summer festivals things have picked up in a big way. I'm very optimistic and hopeful that it goes. (laughs) Everything happens. I am wrapping up a recording of Lincoln Trio's latest CD, a CD of Chicago composers. We have a couple more composers, Sean Opeblo and Misha Zupko are the two composers we have left, and we're adding to our CD that's partially recorded. Ani and I have some things in New York and New Jersey and our CD release, of course, which will be here in Chicago at Nichols Hall and various concerts throughout New York and New Jersey for publicity of the CD release. And uh, I have a duo piano concert playing Holst Planets for two pianos, which is what it was originally written for. So I'm excited about that. And who's your other pianist? Uh, Daniel Schlossberg is the pianist. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, let me fill in a couple of details of what you just mentioned. This album, Gems from Armenia, is Sadie's April release for 2022. Our June release is with the Lincoln Trio. It's Trios from Contemporary Chicago, a bit of a follow-up to last year's Trios from the City of Big Shoulders. But this time, it's instead of mid-20th century composers, it's all contemporary living composers. And already recorded and edited and ready to go are... Pieces by Stacey Garrup, Shulamit Ron, and Augusta Reed Thomas. And a couple weeks after we are recording this podcast, we will be recording those pieces that Marta mentioned by Shona Peblo and Misha Zupko to round out the album. And like I said, that will be our June 22 release. And this album is being released in April in part to coincide with the commemoration of the Armenian Genocide, which is now officially recognized by the United States. Then on May 15th, there will be a concert at Nichols Hall at the Music Institute of Chicago that we spoke so much about at the beginning of this podcast. And that concert will include, what, about half repertoire from this album? Yes, about that. And then we will also be using that as a chance to promote the release, turn it into an album release event. In your bio, it mentions that you've created a new foundation. Can you talk about that? I have. I just felt that I wanted to give the opportunity for people of all over various backgrounds to be able to play music. So I have a little audition that I have for people to send in a recording of their playing and a little verbal introduction of themselves and why they want to take lessons. And I have a few wonderful donors that sponsor them for piano lessons. And it's just something I decided to do over COVID. It's doing quite well, I must say. And hopefully it will grow. I'm excited about it. So finally, we always end these podcasts by asking our artists what makes the Chicago scene special. And I think it'd be interesting to hear different perspectives of this, because although you both grew up in Chicago, Marta, your career has been pretty much based exclusively here, whereas Ani, your career has been mostly based outside of Chicago. So I'd love to hear those different perspectives, one who's watched the scene evolve and been part of it for, for so long versus one who comes and visits and has seen it from maybe a different perspective. I personally love the synergy in Chicago of composer, musician, WFMT, Sadie Records, 
and presenters all within Chicago, how they just work so harmoniously together, supporting each other. And I'm just really happy and proud to be a part of that synergy. We're so happy you are. And Ani, coming to visit Chicago, what are your impressions? I think it strikes me now from the outside just what a musically progressive town Chicago is. And Sadie certainly has a huge part of the reason I'm saying that. The pushing of new music, the different groups that are coming out of Chicago. There's Third Coast Percussion and Black Oak Ensemble and Eighth Blackbird. It's really impressive. I can't say that about every big city, but somehow Chicago really strikes me as being open and excited about making these not unusual, but to make them just normal. You know, it should be as normal to program a living composer as it is to program Beethoven. It shouldn't be anything unusual or daunting. Or So the more it happens, the more that that's going to feel normal. I was really making great strides in that. While well, Sadie Records is a label devoted, I should note a nonprofit label devoted to promoting the finest classical musicians in and from Chicago. We're very glad to be a part of that. Thank you both, Ani and Marta. This has been another Classical Chicago podcast from Sadie Records. Thank you so much for listening.